The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. So on the surface, salary negotiation seems like it's just a numbers game. How can I get the most salary out of this organization that just offered me a job or will hopefully be offering me a job? And let me try and figure out that numbers game. However, underneath the surface, there's so many factors that impact how we show up to that conversation. And when I talk to job seekers, the number one factor that comes up probably 95, 98% of the time is confidence or lack of confidence. People say, oh, I don't have the confidence, Kyle, to ask for $40,000 more than what they already offered me. Oh my gosh, this is Meta or Amazon or some hyper-growth startup. I'm scared to go ask for more money, and confidence keeps coming up. So today, hopefully, we can talk about a few ways people can boost their confidence as they go into these salary negotiation conversations. I love that. This is great. And before we get into that again, I want to kind of explore a little bit. Uh, behind some of the perspectives that might hold people back. When you think about the mindsets that hold people back and make it tough for them to negotiate effectively and advocate for themselves, what are some of the patterns that you're seeing? A lot of people, when they go into salary negotiation, they have these ideas around money. And when it comes to money, they're like, oh, I don't think I'm worth this amount of money. They say, I've always made X dollars, and now this is 50% or 100% more than I've made before. And people feel like, oh, that's already good enough. I shouldn't negotiate more. And there's these negative feelings or perceptions people have around money. It can be difficult to move past that. And people connect money to their worth. I'm worth X amount of dollars, but not Y amount of dollars. And there's this stickiness that comes in. And we, when I come in, I try and say, let's disconnect that and not say, here's what you're worth. The money is not your worth. It's simply an exchange of energy. You're showing up and delivering a certain amount of energy to the organization. What energy can they provide back in regard to money? And that can be helpful for some people to disconnect from, oh, this is my worth. No, it's not. It's just an energy transition between you and that organization. Where should we start? What what would you say is the number one mistake that you see people make in these conversations about compensation? If I had to pick the first one, I would say, um, don't think, take things personally. When people take things personally, that's one of the biggest mistakes. Um, And you, you really have to look at it 
as a business problem that you're trying to solve collaboratively, right? I mean, this is not, it's not about you. And the way that companies pay people really isn't about the person at all. It's how much they value the work that you'll be doing for them. And so it's, normal that different kinds of companies might value that work differently. And, and so you just have to remember that it's, it's really a statement on the work and not a statement on you as a person. And it's really hard to, to get that emotional distance. But when you can, you can be a lot more effective. 100%. Because if you start taking things personally, then you're losing that perspective. And then you'll probably respond emotionally. And oftentimes, yes. our emotional responses are not the appropriate responses for the negotiation. They might feel good in the Absolutely. moment. Don't get me wrong. They right. feel great. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then you have that. Or emotion. it might feel terrible. It too, might feel you know? I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. You're kind of, you don't know. It's, it's random in that situation, right? Because you, sometimes yeah. the emotional response can, uh, can feel good. It could be cathartic in the moment. And then the ramifications are down the road. Or maybe it feels bad in the moment too. Or maybe you get lucky. Yeah. And so the, I think it's, it's really important to recognize the, 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 the difference between an emotional thought and a rational thought in the moment. Yeah. And so it's easy for us to just say, okay, good. Next one. We won't take things personally on to the next idea, but it's easier said than done. Right. Yeah. So, so what advice do you have for people who say, well, okay, thank you, but it's hard for me not to take things personally. What, how yeah. do I actually do that? Well, and it is hard for everybody. Um, and, but if you can really recognize the fact that this is, it's a business problem that you're trying to solve, that's one way. Um, you know, I also advise my clients to think about negotiating on behalf of somebody that they like, but maybe not their super best friend, but, but somebody that they think is, is great. You know, so if I were negotiating on behalf of you, um, you know, I would advocate for you. I would be firm, but, and, and I would want a great outcome for you, but it's not, it doesn't impact me in quite as personal a way. Um, and, and I think that's the mindset that if you can get into that, um, it can be really generative. 100%. And so I think about it for me as a lawyer, I think about the times when I was representing clients. Um, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because they can say things that are offensive about the situation. But since I have that distance, I can handle myself. I, I can think about several times in negotiations where I was uh, with my client and they said something that I knew that they would take personally. And I was just texting them, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just let me handle this. <laughs> right? Because I have yeah. that objectivity. I have that distance. And it yeah. is a really powerful mental trick you can play on yourself to say, all right, I'm not Kwame, but I'm going to negotiate on behalf of Kwame. Right or yeah. Whitney, my wife, or my brother Kobe, or whoever it happens to be. But I put that per that that other person. I kind of other myself in that situation. It gives yes. a lot of perspective. Yeah. And yeah. one thing I want to say that I've not always been a negotiator. Right. Uh, I have stories of times where I never negotiated, and then at the end I would bang my head. I'm like, what happened to you? Right. And. Uh, I worked at the World Bank and I did those all those negotiations, but before I get to that level where I could negotiate and uh, being on the table as the lawyer representing the World Bank, I was that young immigrant who had to uh, to accept the job 
I maybe negotiate the salary. I didn't do that, you know? So, uh, and then as time passed, I started to realize that, hey, I think I made a, a big mistake. But I, I'll tell you a little bit about a story that uh, I, I'm still kind of ashamed about because uh, that's when I moved to the United States and then I accepted the job at the World Bank in 2012. And when the job offer came, I just accepted it. And uh, I didn't even take the time to read all the small things in the offer. I was just so excited. I had this salary. I've never had such a salary before. And, you know, the job offer was coming from the World Bank. I thought I was just so lucky. And then uh, what I realized a few weeks in the job was that my colleagues who came with me at the same time as a legal associate, they had been in the country for some time and some of them were American and they re they was thinking that the salary that we're getting was uh, not enough considering the market Washington DC and also considering the fact that we were graduates from law schools right they call us we sat around the table around lunch and we were talking about our salaries they were like we have to figure a way to go to the legal associate manager to talk about this situation and uh, i remember telling them guys i i, I think we should kind of slow down a little bit we must consider ourselves lucky to be here today because there are a lot of people out there trying to be in our places they just looked at each other and kind of like what is he talking about, I guess? But uh, that's, I've never really talked about it again with them. But, uh, and that just came from the fact that I was young, inexperienced, and I just accepted a job as, at a prestigious organization. And, but I never really took the time to understand what was in there. What should I have, uh, should I have negotiated? And I, dev I never did that. But so today, when I write a book like that, I also talk about those type of stories. And then I want to hope that people who are reading the book today are going to understand that when you accept a job, you want to be able to, to negotiate, right? Negotiation is not just looking at how much money am I making at the end of the pay period. There are a lot of things that you have to take into consideration, especially as an immigrant, for example, you want to look at where am I going to be living? What's the cost of living in that area? And then, uh, of, of course, you also want to be looking at uh, what is the compensation package, right? So things like that are things that I think I would be like, I would like to be able to talk about and share with others so that they understand that being where I am today, having worked at the World Bank doesn't mean that, you know, it's always been like that in terms of negotiations. Right. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And I think there, are, there are, there's a lot of um, wisdom in this that we can all learn from, right? And so the first thing is the, the power of mindset, because the mindset that the, your colleagues had at that time, they said, listen, I know my value and my value is more than what I'm currently earning. And that is compelling me to then ask for more. And then for you at that point, this was the first job that you got in the States. It was a prestigious job at the World Bank, not just the like the World Bank, right? I know. <laughs> and so you said, I, I am quite happy where I am and I don't want to risk this, posi this position. I've recognized that this is a mindset that that, uh, that happens a lot with immigrants, happens a lot with minorities, and especially if you are somebody who it might you might be a first generation college student or somebody who is really blazing the trail for your family or community doing something new you, compared to everybody else that you know, you're doing so much better. I am happy. I don't want to risk it. And so we have to understand that mindset in order to overcome it. 
right? We have to think differently about it and then we can move forward. But if you really don't know that there is another way to think, then you wouldn't even know that a, a change needs to be made. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So there is that lack of knowledge, right? The first aspect of it. And the other one is a challenge that I think is just has to do with uh, maybe. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Feeling maybe a little bit insecure. Knowing where you come from and knowing what you're looking at. You don't have the time to definitely say, hey, let me stop a little bit and think about this. Is this fair or is it not fair? No, people don't think about that. When the job comes, the job offer comes, they click yes without reading everything. And what I'm trying to tell people is that you have, especially as an immigrant and being in those situations, there's a lot going in your mind. It could be that your papers uh, uh, depend on, the, on that job offer and you don't have the time to look. You just want that paper and you forget that. You can actually negotiate to get better or maybe to uh, get a better offer, right? But people don't always have that, that, the time to think about that. So that challenge and also thinking that they may have to engage in some form of difficult conversation because that's what it is, right? How are you going to start from your position asking your employer to give you more money when you have other issues like getting your paper renewed? Uh, you want... <laughs> getting a job and starting supporting your families back home. And here you're saying, they say I should negotiate. So they're afraid. They don't want to, to engage in that. Let's talk about salary expectations. What do we need to know? So I think as a recruiter, probably about 30% of the conversations that I have are with people who don't have a, determined, a predetermined compensation expectation when I speak with them. And that makes it really difficult to move forward in the process. In fact, a lot of companies won't even present your resume to a hiring manager until you give them your compensation expectation. And so there are a few tactics that you can use to go in and figure out what your target comp is. First, of course, you want to know your annual budget that you need to actually spend. That's going to be your bare minimum, right? Because the last thing you want to do is take a role that means that you can't pay the bills. And then once you've determined your bottom line minimum, you want to go in and determine your target industry. 
and your top two to three target job titles. And you want to go to places like Glassdoor and Salary.com and LinkedIn and research what the compensation levels are for those job titles. And if the compensation does not align with your minimum expectation, you need to pick a new industry and a new job title. Um, and then redo your research until you get there. And then you also need to compare it with where you were at previously if you were laid off or where you're at in your current job and make sure that it's at least as much or more because unless you're going from the public sector to say the nonprofit sector, you should always be advancing yourself in that way. Right now, women on average make around 79 cents on a dollar compared to a non-Hispanic white male. Women of color actually make significantly less. So if we go state by state, the numbers can be alarming. But in general, white women have to work until March to make what a white man earned in the previous year. African-American women have to work until August, Latina women, September, and the Native American women, November. So when you look at the wage gap, you're looking at women working almost a full year for free to earn what a man made in that same time frame. It's really more complex than just saying, oh, they make less. Because when you look at traditional job roles and social roles that the women carry, women have to take off work to give birth to a kid, whereas a man doesn't. And so women are penalized for leaving the workforce for a certain amount of time. And they're not paid for that time. So when they re-enter the workforce, there is a gap in their work history. So when women and men start off right out of college, they're typically earning close to the same amount. But as they get older, as women get older, they earn less. On the other side of that spectrum, women are typically the caregivers for families. So when parents are ailing and things like that, it's typically the woman who opts out of the workforce. And so there again, we see another component of the wage gap because women are not engaged in the workforce because they're caring for families, which is essential work. So it's a really, really complex issue, but that's just an overview of what the wage gap is. Wow. And that's for people who are coming in and doing the same job. So the women are paid less for the exact same work than similarly situated. Wow. That's crazy. Right. So I like getting niche with research. I mean, I love Glassdoor or Payscale or Salary.com or LinkedIn, but these tend to just have high level salaries. And you want to get as niche as possible when you're researching salary, when you have an offer or a potential offer. So I primarily work with people in tech, Silicon Valley, IT, these really niche areas. So my favorite is Team Blind. This is an anonymous um, community board where you have to be registered with a company, have a company email to participate, um, but you don't have to have a company email just to view people's answers. So it's kind of like a Reddit of sorts. Reddit and Glassdoor kind of had a baby. This would be team blind. And I like it because people will say, I just got an offer at Amazon. I'm an L6. Here's my exact compensation package, my salary, my bonus, all of that. And I like it because then you can go in there and actually see the exact level, the exact team, the actual data was posted and get really 
really live and relevant information. So I like starting with Team Blind to see real um, case studies or examples of people who've gone offers. That's one of my favorites. And then once you've seen a few examples, I like zooming out a little and going to levels.fyi. This is, again, really helpful for tech. And you can go and see companies across various titles and levels. And a lot of the people I work with will often have competing offers from Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and you can see how these offers compare across these different organizations and levels. Because sometimes it can be tricky. Oh, I got this offer at Microsoft, then this one at Google, then this one at Amazon. How do they compare with different RSUs and bonuses and salaries? So using kind of team blind case studies and then levels FYI and their data can be super helpful to compare across these organizations. What advice do you have for people as as it relates to finding ways to slow down so you can find that stability and respond appropriately? Well, I think one of the most important tools that we have in salary negotiations is silence. Um, so, you know, I, I recommend that when you make your requests, um, make a request and then be quiet. Don't try to jump in and fill that space um, because that's, we're kind of socialized to do that. It's like, oh, silence is bad. Silence is not bad. And and you're not trying to trick the other person, but you want to give them a moment to process what you've just asked for and really allow them the opportunity to respond. Um, if we just jump right in, oh, well, if you can't do that, that's okay. You know, that's one of the things that we we commonly do in these situations, but, but silence can really um, help in, in giving you space. And just like in interview um, kind of situations, people don't expect you to be, you know, boom, boom, you know, talking over each other and um, rapid fire kind of sitcom, you know, deal, you know, that's, that's not normal. Um, and so taking a moment, being deliberate, if you need some time, ask for time, all of those things are absolutely okay to do in salary negotiations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I tell you, um, one of the things I like to keep in mind is you're going to make more mistakes by going too fast than by going too slow in these difficult oh. conversations. You know, the mm -hmm. other thing is you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> Once you say right. certain things, you can't pull yeah. it back, right? Yeah. Recently, I conducted a short survey. I'm still receiving uh, responses for that survey. It's a question, I ask many immigrants. I've, I've received more than 110 responses so far. Why uh, did you negotiate your first salary when you move and you live, I mean, when you move to the country where you live today, and then if you didn't negotiate, why? Were you, is it because you were lucky, you thought you were lucky to have the job, thankful to have the job, or is it because you didn't know that salaries were negotiable? And many people respond and tell you, I mean, the majority of the responses that I've received is that I didn't negotiate because I was afraid of losing the offer. I was afraid, I didn't know that uh, salary was negotiable. I was thankful for the job. And so when you hear things like that, you can tell that people, uh, they don't have that mindset of, I can negotiate my salary. They have a mindset of, 
thank God I get this job. And so one of the things I always hear from people um, is that one of the most nerve wracking parts of the negotiation is when you're applying and then you see that little box that says salary expectation and they say, oh no, I remember Kwame talking about anchoring. I don't want to create a bad anchor. How do I handle that? I need to put a number. So what would you suggest? You put $1 in that field. (laughs) No recruiter is gonna believe that you actually wanna make $1 a year, but you don't ever want to list, um, say $56,000 or $100,000 or $300,000 or $12 an hour, just to have a recruiter look at that and not even open up your resume if it doesn't align with it. Because if they'd opened up your resume, they might see that you could add value in ways that they hadn't even thought of, uh, or that you might be a really good fit for another opening at the company that hasn't been posted yet, even if you're not the perfect fit for the role that you applied to. And you have to be prepared though, because once you have that initial conversation with the recruiter, they're going to ask you in that conversation what your minimum salary expectation is. And you should be prepared because you've already done all of the research that we just talked about to give them the low end of your range and also to give them a high end of your range. And so depending on your field, I give ranges of about $40,000 when like a really wide range when I quote my target compensation. And I tell people that I do that when I'm talking to them on the phone, I say, I'm going to give you a really wide range here because I completely understand that large companies and small companies and public companies and private companies can pay very different compensation levels. So I'm going to give you a really wide range here. And then as we go through the interview process and we learn more about each other and the value that we can add to each other's lives, we can narrow down that target further. That is great. Um, listeners, I hope you just like copy and paste that, <laughs> what you just said. I think that's a really great way to handle it because it's so reasonable and you're not making the mistake of pricing yourself out of different um, opportunities and you're not making this, the mistake of anchoring too low and then putting yourself in a bad position when you could have gotten more. And so that also helps us to understand what to do in the middle of the conversation if they say, oh, what do you hope to make or something even more uh, sometimes nefarious, uh, what did you make before? Yeah, and there's two important points there. The first is there's an alternate tactic, which is instead of you as the person looking for a job saying a number, you can turn it around and flip it back on them and say, well, can you tell me what your target compensation range is as a company? And then the real important thing that you have to do is be silent after that. And I know you cover this a lot in your podcast, Kwame, and it's something that's really hard for me to do. So I appreciate that you bring it up a lot. Uh, You need to be silent because recruiters are not used to being asked that question. And they will need to run through their head to number one, maybe remember, because they're probably recruiting for 14 to 20 different roles, right? And they might not remember off the top of their head. And then number two, um, especially if they're with an agency, they might not have, they might have some clients where they're allowed to say the number and some clients where they're not allowed to say the number. And so they might have to kind of go through that Rolodex in their head to figure it out. And then the other really important point is that it is only legal to ask for previous compensation information in certain states. Um, And so many states, they're only allowed to ask you for your compensation expectation. They are not allowed to ask you to provide proof of your compensation history. 
it's illegal. And they're also not allowed to ask you what you made in the last year. And so that's a really important piece of information to know. The other important piece of information is even if you get asked those questions, you're under no obligation to answer them, even if it is in a state where it's legal to ask. And so I recommend 100% of the time that you do not tell people what you were making at, what you were making previously. Because if you were at Google and you were making $300,000 a year doing something insane like director of, you know, senior director of engineering over there, then, you know, if you're looking for something in the startup world, you're not going to have that same, you're going to be looking at something, you know, $150,000 lower maybe. And you don't want them to get nervous and think that you're priced out because of it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think we have the opposite too, because a lot of people are switching jobs because they were unappreciated, because they weren't properly compensated. And then we inappropriately anchor ourselves where we say, oh yeah, well, at my last job, I made $70,000, but we, that's why we left. <laughs> it wasn't enough. And yeah. so I agree. I think strategically uh, finding really um, mindful ways of addressing this is, is really important. And it goes back to what you said, Robin, before where you talked about role playing. This shouldn't be the first time you're going through this. You should have practiced this a number of times so it comes out smoothly. A lot of times we are caught off guard with really basic questions that we saw coming. We should have seen coming at least. What are some other mistakes people make at this stage when they're doing research? What I find is people often don't get into the total compensation package. I have clients, they just show me that base number. And sometimes people are like, oh, I'm leaving this non-tech, non-really um, well-known company for Amazon. And they're actually offering me a lower base salary. And then they forget to look at the RSUs the relocation offering, the um, bonuses, um, the comp or the healthcare, and looking at the total package is really important. And looking both now and then in the future in three, five, 10 years as their stocks grow. And you want to ask yourself, what's important to you? So when you're thinking of your salary expectations, I can encourage people to really write out what's important. Do you need cash now? Are you in it for the long run? Is healthcare important? Are you looking into IVF? And does the company pay for that? Really looking at all of those benefits and what's important instead of the mistake of simply looking at your base salary and then stopping there. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.